Hello everyone, this is uh, Stavros Yanuka welcoming you back for another episode of Wise Words. Uh, on this episode, we talk to Dr. Ger Graus. Ger is a renowned figure in the field of education where uh, since uh, March 2017, he holds the position as the first global director of education at Kidzania. Uh, Kidzania is, can best be described as an educational theme park uh, where children aged 4 to 14 uh, can experience the world of work through role play uh, and it's designed to inspire and empower kids uh, to think creatively about their future career um, options. Um, it was first set up in, uh, in 1999 in Mexico City and now has a presence across 24 cities uh, on uh, five continents with plans for further expansion. Ger Graus has been at the heart of innovation and project development at uh, Kidzania and, and beyond. He has uh, spearheaded some research also around the work that they um, that they do at Kidzania to explore the impact that this experience is having on uh, on kids. Before joining Kidzania, he was the uh, chief executive of the Children's University, uh, where under his watch uh, it became a multiple award-winning international charity, again providing five to fourteen-year-olds with innovative learning opportunities outside school hours. The Children's University is active now in, uh, in addition to the UK, in Australia, China, Malaysia, Singapore, and across the Middle East. So he has extensive experience. I hope you uh, enjoy our, our conversation, which focused mainly on the ideas behind Kidzania, uh, the importance of role play, role modeling, uh, and its impact on on kids' uh, view of the workplace and and of their uh, opportunities in that space. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Gurgras, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you, Stavros. Pleased to be here. Um, girl, let's start by just having you describe briefly what. Uh, Kidzania is and what uh, what your involvement with that organization has been over these past several years. Okay, so Kidzania firstly is the, the brainchild of Javier Lopez, Javier Lopez Ancona, a Mexican entrepreneur, started in 1999 uh, and currently there are 24 Kidzanias globally with, with a growth plan of, of another at least 20 in the next five or six years, including in the about 15 in the USA and Canada. Um, Kidzania are uh, cities, child-sized cities for 4 to 14 year olds where grown-ups are there to be seen and not heard and the youngsters independently through experience can find out about the world of work and what they like and what they don't like and what they might aspire to and what they are inspired by. Yeah. Well, walk us through a, a, a Kidzania experience if you were just to get listeners to sort of understand what actually happens. Typically, Kidzanias are, uh, are built uh, as part of a shopping mall because that is where, where many people go and they tend to be in areas where 
where there's significant footfall. Um, you let's just say that we're 11 years old today, Stavros. We turn up, yeah. uh, accompanied by by our grown-ups. Uh, we report to the Catania desk, and essentially every Catania starts with an airport because you go on a journey into the city. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an aeroplane that uh, is either inside or, or partly inside the building, a real aeroplane uh, with with a, a sponsor's or industry partner's name on them, and, and they play the part of kind of reality factors, I suppose. So um, we check in, we get a boarding pass, um, we get a map and further instructions, and we get 50 kidzos, which is the Kazanian currency. We then proceed through, and the minute we enter the city, effectively the adults become redundant. That's the idea. That's yeah. the theory. It doesn't always work like that, particularly with parents. Um, and then I go into the city, and effectively I have a choice of, typically of about 60 professions, stroke activities in the space, that is typically about 75,000 square foot. That's quite a, quite a, and, and what, are, what are these professions? They, they cover a, a multitude. So I think there are, there are a number of professions that are kind of, if you wish, mandatory globally. Although I think in a good, in a good engaging franchise framework, what happens is uh, it's a little bit like um, a coloring in book for, for little children. Yeah. Somebody's drawn the picture, but wherever you are in the world, you color it in differently depending on yeah. on the resources and the colors that you have. So you would quite reasonably, first of all, expect the Catania in Dubai to be different to the one in Dallas, to the one in Sao Paulo yeah. and London. But even within the United States, you know, between Dallas and Chicago and New York, there will be significant um, significant differences. Uh, the experiences that exist in all the Catanias are the aeroplane, yeah. pilot cabin crew, yeah. uh, a hospital, fire brigade, um, a newspaper, um, a university. Yeah. Then there are a number of activities that are, in, in a sense, in a broader descriptor. So every container has an automotive experience. Mm. In some containers, that means that you pass a driving test. In other containers, it is that you repair a car. In container London, it is. You learn about um, e-technology in terms of uh, electric technology yeah. in terms of cars, and you get to replace the tires on a Formula E car. Then the third set of activities are localized to the opportunities and local needs. So Sao Paulo has a YouTuber, mm. and Moscow has a cosmonaut. Well, okay. And and it's up to the youngsters to choose what their activities are. Yeah. And, and what's, I mean, to, so the idea is that by role-playing, kids will discover their, uh, yeah. their particular likes yeah. and or dislikes. Do you, so do you track what, what happens to the kids? We do. So I, I was, um, in, in its first almost, I don't know, in its first almost 15 years, Kizania did not have an education director. Kizania had content managers. Mm. And I was brought into Catania, London, by my friend Joel Cadbury, who, who had a vision that there was more to it than content, and, and he was right. Yeah. And, and a good two years later, I was approached by, by Javier Lopez Ancona whether I would take this role on globally. And, and again, what was quite interesting, I suppose, in, in the first number of years, the focus was very heavily on role play and content. And by, it was almost the mistakes that schools make. Or, or education systems, you focus very heavily on one aspect, 
yeah. and you forget many of the others. So role play also means role modeling yeah. and copied behavior. Yeah, so, so it's a broader concept than that. And, and what I then did, we sat down, so every child when they come to Kidzania, they get a security bracelet so that they truly can spend their four hours independently without the grown-ups having to worry about them. Yeah. The security bracelet also means that we that they check into every activity they participate in. Yeah. So I sat down with some analysts about two to three years ago and said, look, I'd quite like to know what children's first choices are. If I'm four years old and I'm from Sheffield, or I'm 11 years old and I'm from Sao Paulo, what's my choice? Yeah. So we did a massive analysis. We started in London with 61,000 children, then moved to Mexico and did 270,000. Mumbai, 115,000. We're about to start in Dubai with 35,000. Yeah. And we want to create this global barometer of children's aspirations. So we looked at what are their first choices and then contextually set against um, government, local government statistics, so the government of the UK or the government of Mexico. Yeah. We then looked at who are these children? Are they four? Are they 14? Are they boys? Are they girls? Are they black? Are they white? Are they rich? Are they poor? Are they urban? Are they rural? And are there patterns? Yeah. yeah. And so we are in the process of publishing these. And um, and as now Kidzania is open, we pledge to do this within 12 months. So Kidzania Doha is opening in early 2019. Yeah. And by the time of, of your WISE conference in November, we will have the first set of statistics on those youngsters. What, what are some of the insights that you're, you're picking up? Uh, the, the first insight is, and maybe that tells us a great deal about globalization, uh, the, the first insight really is that there is little or no difference, significant difference, between how the children choose and behave in Mexico to Mumbai to London yeah. to wherever. Of course, the, the number is, a, is about half a million now and quite substantial. The other findings um, are, to a degree, quite disturbing. So all stereotypes are set at the age of four. Wow. And we suspect before, yeah. the reason I say four is because that's the age at which children start coming yeah. to the So if you go into the aeroplane, cabin crew pilot, cabin, cabin crew 90% girls, 10% boys, pilot 85% boys, 15% girls. Yeah. In the hospital, the surgeon is male-dominated, the maternity unit is female-dominated. The car industry is male-dominated, the beautician is female-dominated. You, you get the picture. Yeah. But to just bring that back briefly, Sarah, to what we were talking about earlier, role modeling versus role play, what is very evident is that if I, in Catania, London, for example, in the automotive experience, the Renault experience, have two male members of staff, no girls go in at all. They walk past, they observe, they clock that it is, in inverted commas, not for them, and they move on. If I change the staffing to one or two females, almost instantly the statistics change. Wow. And then they go from 90-10, in, in 90 male, 10 female, they will go to 65-35. So it is about role modeling, and we need to think that through, what yeah. implications there so the first finding, uh, all uh, sorry, four-year-olds stereotypes are set, and that that asks a further question. Two two points really. One is this is happening before youngsters go to school, 
So who are the teachers? Yeah. And do we need to kind of think about that much more? The second finding is that there is little or no change between the age of four and 14, which, which did take me by surprise because mm. you look globally at significant efforts and investments into STEM activities and agendas, often government-driven, yeah. and there's little, little impact. And I was talking to, to a former Secretary of State for Education in the UK about this, or in England about this, and, and uh, the answer I got was, ah, but girls now outperform boys in tests. And I think we, if that's a conclusion, then we are sadly mistaken because we are confusing the ability to pass a test yeah. with the actual STEM agenda and impacts and, and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the third conclusion, and again, this is global, is... Um, Regardless of their background, social culturally or socioeconomically, almost all girls will choose activities below their age range. And almost all boys will choose activities above their age range. So so the skeptic in me will you know will argue, is this how much of this is nature versus nurture? Um, because it, it, it I mean it, 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 what you're saying confirm some, some other studies that I'm aware of that shows, for example, an inverse correlation between how egalitarian society is in terms of gender and the uptake of STEM subjects by women. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a couple of observations around yeah. this. One is, I don't particularly, I mean, this may sound slightly controversial, but I don't particularly care what boys or girls choose yeah. as long as they are aware of the whole rainbow of choice. Of, of yeah. Yeah. And, and after yeah. that, it really yeah. is up to that. Yeah. But I think what we underestimate, Stavros, is um, is the, the role modeling part. Yeah. No, I, think, right? I think that's clear. Yeah. Even, even my 12-year-old my daughter bought me back two birthday cards the other day, Peter Rabbit birthday cards, yeah. right? And, and the word girl is not mentioned on it, and the word boy is not mentioned on either of the cards, neither are they pink or blue. Yeah. But I'll, I'll paint you two images. On one birthday card, the parent rabbit cuddles the rabbit, the little rabbit, and on the other one, the parent rabbit throws the little rabbit up in the air. Which one's the boy one? Yeah. Which one's the girl yeah. one? Yeah. And I, I remember sitting in a park in Sheffield on a on a Sunday morning, and uh, and there's a climbing frame for little toddlers. You know, the, the, the eighteen months olds go on it. And, and it's a beautiful day, and there's lots of families there, and there's lots of little, lots of little children crawling and, and kind of waddling around. And every time a little girl goes up to the climbing frame, every single time, all the grown-ups go, careful, careful. Every time the little boy goes up to the climbing frame, all the grown-ups go, go on, what's taking you so long? Yeah, yeah. So that's from 18 months onwards. Yeah. And then you look at the subliminal images, walk around the shopping mall, and look, look what you see. And I think that spectrum of yeah. um, of role modeling is the bit that we that we underestimate. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's quite a key one, and I think that's a confidence one, and we need to be mindful of it. And then the next finding really is that all children can only aspire to what they know exists. So your social cultural and socioeconomic background determines how many experiences you've had, and that determines what you choose. When you come into Catania, you gravitate towards the familiar. So children from 
um, from schools that I know in, in England that are from deprived areas or very deprived areas will no child in that school will choose the aeroplane as its first activity but the girls will go to the supermarket or the beautician and the boys will do the car bit or the courier service. So the conclusion there has to be that some children in a sense need more experiences and more visits to create that level playing field, that menu of experiences. And actually, do you know what? What, what is it we want our children to have experienced by the age of 11? And then the, the final conclusion really is that, um, and that's about policy makers, I think. Children are multidimensional, yet we portray children as single dimensional, in the sense that you're either a boy or a girl, you're either black or you're yeah. white, or you're rich or you're poor, or you're urban or you're rural. Do you know what? If you're urban and you're black and you're poor and you're a girl, the odds are very significantly stacked against you in quite a lot of countries. Yes. And we need to start to see children in their, in their multidimensionality. It's a bit difficult and it doesn't maybe suit the stats, yeah. but it's the bit that we need to do. So they're the conclusions and we are doing, uh, and, and we had a, a very broad uh, church in terms of a 70,000 of the children in Mumbai who visited the Kadzania as part of the analysis came from the slums in Mumbai. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was supported by, by the municipality in Mumbai to make this happen. So there is a truly broad church in this. And I'm looking forward to the analysis in Doha and in Moscow and yeah. wherever else we're going to do that. So, so you're, getting some, um, you're getting some really interesting insights. Um, your example of switching around the or changing the gender, if you will, of some of the support staff. That's an interesting, uh, potentially an interesting example of, of, of a little nudge yeah. that can that can uh, direct or redirect the interest of kids, or at least uh, redirect them to try something that they might not otherwise uh, consider. Is that something that you're exploring and thinking about doing? You know, creating the you know these these sort of nudges to see. Yeah. To see whether we can absolutely so wh whichever I visit all the containers globally over a period of time and and um, and and there's a very interesting discussion now about education so who leads on education in those containers and what does that mean and my view is that nobody leads on it but everybody is responsible for it so in my in my meetings in uh, Moscow next week for example I will have the HR director because they are responsible for the recruitment. I'll have the operations person, because they are responsible for the rotors and drafting in which member of staff, male or female, goes into which activity. At the industry partners, they contribute the reality factor and, and in a sense, the wow factor to it quite often. So everybody sits around the table. And I think some of those things that we're discovering and putting on the table for everybody to see are quite hard to remedy because they've been there for a very long time. But I think we also have a, have a mindset in education quite often that things are hard and that we need lots of meetings and lots of policies and lots of money. Actually, quite a few of the answers are quite simple. So, yeah, so for example, the staffing rotors. Yeah. yeah. So for example, saying that when we organize careers weeks in the Kidzanias, so, so you're, the, you're the 12 year old boy, you're coming along, and as well as landing the aeroplane, all of a sudden, there's a pilot stands behind you and says, I'm off to Acapulco in the next four hours. Is there anything you need to know before I fly? So we actually put the profession in touch with the child again 
without the interference of teachers and parents. And again, so, you know, we will ring the airlines, we will ring British Airways and say, can you send us some female pilots? We will, you go against, yeah. quite deliberately against stereotypes. And you do two things by that. One is you do the right thing by the child and they might go, oh, I'm a female pilot, okay, cool. Or, or Bianca Senna, Ayrton Senna's uh, uh, niece, who manages Bruno Senna, the Formula E driver. Yeah, so we work with people like yeah. that. Um, but at the same time, you're also beginning to, uh, to make the companies aware how important that is. So you, it becomes a pebble in the pond kind of message. Yeah. And they don't cost anything. There's a bit of common sense, a bit of hard graft, and you're there. Other things are much more complicated and will tackle. So you need the kind of two-pronged uh, two pronged attack. And then the other thing we do is a container experience is typically four hours. Yeah. Right? And actually, it isn't for every child because if you live 300 miles away, it's quite hard to get there. So we're also trying to work with a whole range of partners to make it more accessible. We yeah. need to have an online presence. We need to do kids' talks, our own kind of version of professionals giving little talks for children. We need to, and we are uh, working with DK, the publishers, to produce futures awareness books for mm. primary age children. Yeah. We just need to expand the menu so that children can opt in. This, this actually, is, it's interesting that you mentioned the futures awareness. This is going to be my question. Um, how, how do you try to keep um, abreast of the changing uh, workplace in terms of, of what you what you offer in, in Kinsale? It's a really hard one. Uh, and and uh, one of the future professions, but I haven't found one yet, must be a crystal ball gazer. Because lots of people tell me that 65% of all the jobs that will exist in 10 years' time don't exist now. I don't know quite where they get the number 65. Yeah, well, so, so, yeah. so, so that seems a little so, too yeah. precise. So, so, yeah. so, so somebody <laughs> must know something yeah. somewhere. I think in the first instance, yeah. it's it's not necessarily about the kind of job. It is about the how adaptable are we, how confident are we in, in, in being adaptable, how curious are we. So let's just start with how the jobs that are currently in Kitania yeah. will change. Yeah. And there are some very practical examples. So I'll use the London example, Renault, the Formula E experience. Formula E didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. Right? The YouTuber in Sao Paulo didn't yeah. exist. So you, you begin to bring those things yeah. in and you create, in a sense, that independence of those children and the, the, the experience-based learning whereby they'll find out more. And of course, you know, uh, the, the, the very interesting piece of, as part of the research in Mexico, remember Mexico Quintania started in 1999. When they were doing this massive analysis, I sat down with the analysts and said July 2009. Look at July, and I didn't tell them why, but look at July 2009 and tell me whether you notice a change from July 2009 onwards. And they came back and they went, from July 2009, there's almost an immediate change where children, and particularly girls, opt much more for technology-related subjects. Interesting. Why would that be? Yeah. And I kind of went, well, the reason I mentioned July 2009 was it was the launch of the iPhone 3G and everything that followed on from it. Yeah. And so you can see that the inf we need to 
we need we need to adapt to what's out there. We need to try and guess what the future is, and we need to begin to inspire uh, inspire these children so that they can inspire aspire to what they want to be. And yes, of course, we have a courier service at the moment. I don't know what the health and safety people uh, <laughs> would say about it. I quite like kids to fly drones and deliver the parcels. Mm. You know. Yeah. So we can. It's an ongoing debate. It will forever change. Yeah. And I think that's the exciting thing about it. But I think the other thing that we need to highlight is this. And um, children, we also want tomorrow's world to be slightly better than today's. Um, and ch children also need to understand, and we need to provide them with the opportunity to do so, that, for want of a better way of putting it, being a good citizen yeah. Yeah, is also something that we might want to do better tomorrow than, than we're doing it today. Yeah. So that kind of charity, if you wish, charitable aspect, thinking about other people, needs to sit in every one of the kids' heads. Well, I was going to say, it seems to me that there's an opportunity for, for you to go beyond uh, sort of career, yes. exposing yes. Career, different career opportunities and, uh, you know, to, to sort of maybe use a slightly um, uh, archaic uh, expression instills a sense of sort of civic virtue I agree. into um, into the into the experience. And the way I use it with with many of the Kazanians and, and elsewhere is we, we always ask children this it's and I think it's the most stupid question we can ask a child. It's what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer should be from every child I have no idea. Yeah. Because I don't know what's out there. Because yeah. you haven't been very good at showing me what's out there. Yeah. yeah? And actually, I think the question that we may want to ask of the children more is, who would you like to be like? Yeah. Yeah, because if I look back at my life, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. But I wanted to be like my grandfather, and I wanted to be like Johan Cruyff, and, 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 <laughs> yeah, and those kind of things. And it's a slightly different kind of question yeah. than the one that says, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. Um, so what what are your I mean beyond expanding to sort of twenty odd countries more what what are some of the plans that you have for for kids going forward I think there's uh, um, the challenge we have now and the challenge we will have in the future is is the bit where I'm very proud to say it says in all the literature and on all the websites Kidzania is there for all children. Being there for all children is quite hard yeah. in, in what is essentially a business, but it's a business that needs to behave with a heart. And uh, so our challenge is, and we're, we're quite good at it, I'm quite proud of a lot of the things that we're doing, uh, is to be able to be affordable for all children and yeah. to find mechanisms of doing that. And that will be that will be an ongoing thing. I think the, the second thing is... Um, to bring in more meaningful technology into, into Kidzanias. And what I mean by meaningful is, people keep telling me that we need coding in Kidzania. And I'm kind of going, well, why do we need coding? And they go, this is on the national curriculum. And I'm saying, well, I'm not interested. You know, if it has a purpose in life and children can understand why coding matters, i.e. can we change the traffic lights in Kidzania or whatever it is, yeah. then, then it has that purpose. And I think thirdly is, um, is internationalization. So we've got 24 dots on the map at the moment. We will have 50 dots on the map. Yeah. Yet at the moment, if you were to go into 
Kitania, Mumbai, apart from walking past the map, you're not really necessarily aware that there is one in Dubai and that there yeah. is one in Jeddah and that there is one in, in, in Busan. So we need, and, it, and the world is forever smaller and children will work globally either in their own home for a global company, but, but it's, it's incredibly small. And the other thing is how cool would it be if children understood that other children are not that dissimilar from them, despite the fact that they might be thousands of miles away yeah. and look slightly differently. So we could actually, in the words of Javier Lopez, actually create a better world. So we need to build in activities whereby we make children aware of, of that internationalization. Yeah. And then I think for me, the big challenge that we have, not just in Kidzania, but I would probably say for every museum, for every gallery, and for every every uh, organization like us, um, how do we meaningfully connect what we provide with what is being taught in school? So that in children, we give children the opportunity yeah. to join the dots. So when I produce the front page of the newspaper in Kidzania, which I tangibly take away, and I proudly show to my grandparents, that the connection automatically is there. If I hadn't learned to read and write in school, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so to bring the yeah. purpose bit into it. Um, and, but as we ever move towards a narrower school curriculum and the obsession with, with testing children, that, that's becoming increasingly harder to do. So we have to work at it more imaginatively yeah. and harder still. Hey, you, you've, I've, I've heard some of your, your talks and you've often spoken about the importance of having kids to, uh, to create and write their own narrative. What do, you sort of, what do you mean by that? Given that, given that you earlier on you said, well, you know, obviously the kids don't know what they, what they want to be at the moment. They haven't been exposed to all the opportunities. I think that there's an issue. I mean, first of all, how do you get to the point where children confidently write more of their own narrative? And that is about offering them experiences. Yeah. So I will, um, later on uh, today in, in the masterclass and, and then tomorrow again, I will refer to can we have some sort of a common agreement what it is that we want every 11-year-old to experience. Yeah. And I don't mean you've learned maths or you've learned physics, but I mean... You've been to your capital city, you've visited a place of governance, you've been to a museum, you've been part of a performance, you've been part of a social media yeah. activity. Whatever these things are, what is, what are you, and you've been seven years old and you've been, you've been on work experience. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think we need to do, which is backed up by some of the findings from our analysis, is um, we need to think of teachers differently. So and I'll use a slightly yeah. crass example, but... Um, why is careers in school taught by people who've only ever been to school? And they went to primary school, they went to secondary school, they went to big school, they went to university, they became teachers, and they went back to school. So I think there's a point where we need to say, at which point are you the teacher that, that pervades the knowledge? Mm -hmm. At which point are you the teacher that facilitates the research, the analysis, and the judgment? And at which point are you the facilitator of experiences? What do teachers know about bricklaying? Very little. How good are teachers at project management? Very. Can we get then the teachers to bring the bricklayers into school so that the children have got actual contact with it? It's a very simple example. Yeah. Then you are starting to create, and of course you can use online and all sorts of other experiences. 
And then the final part of that jigsaw is, if as our research shows, all stereotypes are set at the age of four, somebody needs to educationally give me a good reason why we then wait for another 10 years to start in school to talk to children about what they might want to do with the rest of their lives. I.e., we need to, yeah. we need to offer that menu of experiences much earlier. And I think if we have those things in place, then we are putting children in a position whereby they can f begin to form their own narrative from the experiences they've had. It's as simple as that. It's, it's quite a big job, yeah. but it's quite simple to, to get your head around, I think. No, and, and, and you know, I think you have, you have an interesting platform. Yes. Kidzania, where in, in some, well, in, in, to, to a great extent, you can actually back a lot of this this, this up with data. Yeah. I, I would and also experiment. Yeah. I would also say, Stavros, quite quite genuinely, that that um, that Kidzania is not uh, is not the answer. It is it is a piece of a jigsaw. It is probably possibly quite an important piece of that jigsaw. Yeah. But that we're much better at doing that in partnership. So we are working very closely with Junior Achievement Worldwide, for example. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Because it's complete common sense. Uh, uh, Bill Drayton, the founder of Ashoka, has joined the Global Think Tank because Bill's got a lot to offer and so do Ashoka. So I think by joining these things up, yeah. we actually have a, have a, a, create a greater capacity to make bigger differences for kids. And I'm very, very excited about that. How, how important, to switch tack a little bit, how important is the physical experience of, of, of what kids aim offers? Incredibly. It's incredibly important. And, and uh, one, and what's incredibly important is it's, re yeah, the trees feel like real trees and they look like them yeah. because kids pick up on reality on, on it you know yeah. the, the comment we get back from lots of children is it's real the comment incidentally we get back from lots of grown-ups was i wish this had been around when i was a kid but and, and that's yeah. a cool one too um but so the, the temptation would be to say okay well why you know why don't you go you know why don't you create sort of an online version of Kidzania or you yeah. know, I think I think or a VR uh, version. There's nothing like <coughs> like the real thing, and I think that's uh, probably underlined by something that I find I completely understand where this has come from, but I find quite disturbing, and it is the following: that increasingly we are creating a world with the best of intentions um, that is so risk averse that our kids have very few real experiences yeah. so if you think about it i get up in the morning i put the kettle on and make the drinks because i'm, I'm worried that my 11 or 12 year old might hurt herself then we leave the house and she holds my hand and we cross the road and we get in the car and we put the seat belt on and and and, and you don't talk strangers and strangers and stranger danger and the whole thing has become so compounded mm -hmm. that i said yeah. at a conference fairly recently to a large number of primary head teachers, find me a place where you can leave your children for four hours and you don't have to worry about their safety and they can get on with their lives for four hours. And they went, it doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure that it ever did, but, but in that sense. And so, so, so the, 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 the reality factor of those four hours in that physical environment yeah. matter a great deal. And, um, <clears throat> And there is that bit about, you know, I, I genuinely worry that the more we take 
risk and falling over and grazing your knees and all those that free range learning bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying learning in the wild and throw them to the lions, but the free range learning bit. The more we take that away, the more we take the notion of calculated risk away. In twenty years time somebody's gonna write an article saying, Where have our entrepreneurs gone? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and I think there's a real danger and and there is something about joy, isn't there, about discovering things yourself? Well, they, you know, we, we, we digress a little now, but the, um, there's, a, there's a book out uh, by an academic, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who I think is, is, a, is an ethicist at uh, New York, NYU, and it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it, it, it sort of, um, it links what you're talking about, this, this excessive safety culture with what is being observed now in some elite university campuses around, you know, not, not wanting to be exposed to any uh, ideas that might cause offense yeah. or, you know, uh, the sort of the, the, the trigger warning culture, the, the safe space culture, in this case, in the intellectual space, not, it's not even a physical uh, I think it's, I think it's an so, interesting one, isn't it? Because we... Why is this happening? And I try to keep it simple. But one one of the reasons it's happening is because we love our little people and we don't want them to fall over. Yeah. Right? Um, then the second reason it's happening is because if they fall over on my property, I might get sued. Right? So, so, so there are those elements of litigation yeah. in there. And then the third one is that we might offend people or we think we might offend people. But, but I, I would strongly call for, for us to take a step back. Children are naturally curious from a very young age, yeah. right? And, that, and, and curiosity allows you, in a guided way, allows you to find answers for yourself and, and draw conclusions mm -hmm. and, and sense research and judgments and all those things. But if I take away the right to ask questions for fear of offending somebody, how will I ever be able to empathize properly? Mm -hmm. So when my, my son, who's now now in his last year at Oxford, but, but when he was little, I remember being out with him one Saturday or Sunday, and there was a group of children uh, uh, in, the, in the same park in wheelchairs, and you could see two things. You could see his mind working overtime, wondering about what that might be like, yeah. Yeah, in a kind of very young childish kind of way, and secondly, you could see from his reaction that he wasn't quite sure how to express what he was going to ask for fear of saying the wrong thing. And my view would be, I'd rather he, he said the right thing but, but expressed it clumsily or whatever else than not ask the question at yeah. all. Yeah. So I, I do think we've gone too far. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I think it, the time will come when we will look back and think, well, that was a really silly thing to do. The, the other um, the other point that's made in this book, which, which I want to just get your thoughts on, and trying to understand the Tanzanian experience as well, is that that by not letting kids you know go out and, and play on their own, um, we, we've sort of created a situation where they don't know how to resolve conflict amongst themselves. So in in Kizania, how how do you address the issue of of conflict resolution? Because I can imagine you know you've got you know. Uh, so many kids in, in that same space, it's inevitable that there will be some I think it's a very conflict. I think it's a very interesting concern. I um, 
bear in mind that 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 the children are are, are in charge that the grown-ups are not meant to interfere yeah. and that the grown-ups are getting slightly better at this um, the the main conflict that arises is from the grown-ups forgetting that they were once children the little prince or grown-ups were once children yeah. but only a few of them remember it yeah. so when you open a kitania and everybody's getting used to it some of the comments that you pick up in the early days are they're all running around and I'm going what would you have done when you were seven? <laughs> so actually let's not class that as yeah. bad behavior yeah. let's just remember yeah. what it was like to be a child yeah. it's 4 to 14 and my view is that it works absolutely best when you have the whole age ranges in because if you're 4 you're looking up to that 14 year old and kind of going I want to be like you yeah. If you're 14, all of a sudden you become courteous and you go to the four-year-old, you go first then. So yeah. there, is, there is a good mix. And actually we've had, to my knowledge, very few, if any, incidents. Yeah. We've had funny experiences. The boy yeah. in London, who in, in the very first week that we opened, had his kids was taken by another child. And then we discovered that our internal phones had a 999 dial-out facility and five police units turned up because a robbery had been reported. <laughs> or Well, in some ways, that's true. It was, it was, it was completely the right reaction. Yeah. Or, or for me, yeah. the, the best example is, so when you come to Catania, you get 50 kids of us, right? And you... In order to open a bank account and get your cash point card and get interest and bank statements and all those things, you need to have 75 kids. So the message is, you've got to go and earn before you can open your bank account. Three 10-year-old girls stand outside the bank with their 50 kids. And um, two girls give their kids to the third girl who goes and opens the bank account. <laughs> She withdraws all the money and gives the second girl the 150 kids owes, who then goes and opens a bank account, withdraws all the money and gives the 150 kids owes to the third girl, who goes and opens a bank account, withdraws all the money, they've got 50 kids owes each, they haven't worked, it's a stroke of genius, and as Lord Young said to me when I relate the story to him, it would have taken grown-ups a fortnight's worth of committee meetings to work that one out. So, they're... they're Ironically, By the way, that, that is an echo of, of, of something that happens in, in real life. I, I have a very good friend who employed the same uh, uh, approach when, when he wanted to emigrate um, to, um, I won't say the country, but <laughs> he wanted to emigrate away from uh, the sort of Iron Curtain, and, and, and a group of them got together and pulled their their money so that they each could walk in with the right amount of cash to the embassy and say, hey, look, I can support myself, fine, great, count the money, go out, hand the bag over to the next person, or maybe change the bag, and then oh, how go in and do that again, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> so I think in terms of the, in terms of that kind of country, conflict resolution, it there is very little of it. and. And I think it is because, as, as, as my, my very good friend Carla Rinaldi of, of the Reggio Children always says, we need to trust the children as much as they trust us. And if you let children, by and large, get on with it, then they will learn 
how to resolve this. What happens in a schooling scenario is, of course, that very often, and again, no doubt with the best of intentions, we turn around and say, I'll sort this out for you. And sometimes we deliberately need to put them together and say, well, what's fair? Yeah. So keep fingers crossed that that continues. Uh, but, but it's certainly, it's an optimistic finding of the last 20 years. It's great. Well, we're, we've come up to, I think, 45 minutes. So I want to thank you, Joe, for your, for your time and for your, uh, for your wise words. It's, it's my pleasure, Samuel. I hope you were wise and, and helpful. But I enjoyed the company. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.